the Lord takes us today. I want to just mention a couple things real quick. The, um, uh, in Sunday school this morning, we dealt uh, with Psalm uh, 8, where the psalmist says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He talks about the fact that his glory is set above the heavens. Uh, even, even the heavens cannot contain all of the glory of God, the magnificence of God. We spent some time talking about the magnitude of God, how big He is, how, how powerful and mighty He is. Um, the idea that in Scripture the Bible speaks of His presence being everywhere. No matter where we go, His presence is there. Whither can I go from My presence or Thy Spirit? Uh, whither shall I flee from Thee? And uh, the psalmist uh, talks about the fact if he went, his, went to the heavens that God was there. If he went, made his bed in hell that God was there. If he went to the uttermost parts of the earth that God was there. And uh, the, the vastness of who God is. And I feel like so often in our lives, one of the reasons we do not live the Christian life more seriously than we ought, more soberly minded than we, thought, than we ought, and one of the reasons why we tend to push spiritual things to the background and put worldly things to the foreground in our life. It's because we do not understand the greatness of our God. We don't understand His magnitude, His size, and uh, His power, His might, His honor, His, his holiness, His glory, um, His righteousness. So much about it that, that we could speak about this morning. And I was pondering that this week as I was getting ready for the Sunday school lesson and uh, it just literally comes, gets to a place where it almost overwhelms your heart. And that's what the psalmist was in, in Psalm 8. That's where he was at. He said, when I consider the heavens. That's what he was doing. He was, he was looking at the heavens. And he came to the conclusion as he looked into the vastness of space, the, the might and the power. In comparison to what God has created, man is nothing but a little atom, a little piece of sand it seems like. Insignificant, if you will. And that's a humbling thought. And it caused the psalmist to ponder and to wonder, what is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of the man that thou visitest him? But the truth of the matter is, he did visit us. And the second truth to be found in Psalm 8, we said this morning, was not only that we're very insignificant in light of creation, and it is a wonder that God even takes an interest in us, but the second great truth of Psalm 8 is this, he did take an interest in us. He has a parental love for us. Uh, he has a desire to give us His mercy and His grace. And oftentimes I'm amazed at how many people ne neglect and reject the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here He is longing, desiring to give man who certainly has no standing before God to say, you owe it to me. Why, when God offers to them mercy and grace in the area of salvation. They don't take that. I don't understand that. If a man can fully understand that uh, and still reject Christ, I don't, I don't understand that mindset, I guess. I hope that everybody here has trusted Christ as their Savior. Because God is a just God and God is a righteous God. And while God did not come to condemn man, we were already condemned. And the fact that He came to save us, He's not going to force you to get saved. He's not going to make you trust Him as your Savior. He gives you that choice. He gives you that decision to make for yourself. My hope and my prayer is that every person here today has taken care of that, that issue and has trusted Christ as their Savior. 
They put their faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them on Calvary as their only hope of getting to heaven. Not good works, not coming to church, not living in a Christian home, but only by trusting the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done on Calvary for them. And I hope and pray that every person here has done that. If you have not, I would plead with you. I think my heart is burdened for that. And I think the Apostle Paul certainly understood a little bit of that type of a burden when he looked at his own nation, his own people, Israel. He said, I could wish myself accursed for them. If it was something that would bring them to Christ, he said, I would be willing What he was saying is, he said, I would be willing even to die and go to hell for them if it would cause them to get saved. The burden is great that people trust Christ as their Savior. We're living in times that are very uncertain. People say, well, is it the time of Christ's coming? We don't know. The truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us we won't know. No man knoweth the day or the hour. It certainly seems like there are things given in prophecy that are very close to what we have here, but that's been done before in history. But there are two things that I know about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. One is that nobody knows when it's going to be. And the second thing is, it is certainly going to happen. And are you ready? Since we don't know when it's going to be, and it is going to happen, are you ready? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? If you've trusted Him as your Savior, my other question is this, are we living for Him? If He were to come today, would He find us faithful, or would we stand in embarrassment and shame? Let's go ahead and take our Bibles, if you will, turn to Psalm 85. And uh, we're going to look at two passages today. We'll begin in Psalm 85. We'll end up in Haggai chapter 3. I, I I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but I want to make one other statement about this thing of salvation. If you are here today, And you don't know if you died that you would go to heaven. You've never put your faith in the Lord Jesus. You don't know that you're saved. Could I ask you to do me a personal favor today? Would you find some time after the service to come and tell me that? And let me take the Bible and show you how you can get that settled today. Would you do that? I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. You don't have to be embarrassed to say it at all. I'd be more than happy to do it and be thrilled to do it. And please, 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 don't leave here lost today. Don't do it. Psalm 5. The psalmist is... uh, This psalm actually is is a prayer for revival in the hearts of Israel. And he writes this in verse 1. He says, Lord, Thou hast been favorable unto Thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of Thy people... Thou hast covered all their sin, and those thoughts in and of themselves require a moment to pause and to think on them, and that's what the word Selah does for us here. God has forgiven the iniquity of His people, He says. Verse 3, it says, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath, thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation. And cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? 
that thy people may rejoice in thee. Psalm 85. Somebody, you guys missing the passage? Oh, did I say five? I am so sorry. Psalm 85. <laughs> Do we need to read that again? I apologize if I said five. Psalm 85. Did everybody get that at this point? Okay. We are not in Psalm 5. I apologize for that. Let's go ahead and uh, ask for the Lord's blessing on this message. Father, we do ask that you would bless it and use it. And Lord, control our hearts and thoughts. And Lord, my heart is heavy this morning for those that may be here today that do not know you as their Savior. Lord, may today be their day of trusting you and knowing that that matter is settled once and for all. To be able to go through life with great peace and contentment and joy knowing that they're saved. And Lord, while life may not always be the easiest, we can certainly rest in this issue and have our spirits calmed by the fact that we know that we know that we know we're on our way to heaven because of the promise that you've made to us. And we've trusted you and taken you at your word that if we would put our faith in you, that you would forgive us of our sin, that you would impute your righteousness and give it to us and put it on our account as though it was our righteousness and make us worthy of heaven. Even though we're sinners, even though we are not worthy, the fact that you are graciously willing to make us worthy, what a joy it is to our hearts to know this truth. And I pray that you'd help every person here today to have that issue settled in their hearts, to know 100% as they leave here today that that matter, that issue has been settled in their life and in their hearts. Pray that you'll preach, bless the preaching of your word. And as we take some time this morning to look at this thing of revival and uh, the stirring of hearts, I pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word, first of all, but, Father, most importantly, that your Holy Spirit <coughs> will be able to do a work of stirring the embers that may have grown cold and callous in these days. We pray that you'll bless it and use it in Jesus' name. Amen. The psalmist began by speaking of the fact that God had uh, turned his his uh, attention to the nation of Israel and, and uh, he says in verse number 2 of Psalm 85, I'll get the right psalm here, Psalm 85, verse number 2, he says, Thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. And then he says in verse number 4, he says, Turn us. If you have a pen and you're in the habit of underlying things in your Bible, I would encourage you in verse number uh, 3, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse number uh, uh Yes, verse number 3, underline the phrase, turn thyself. And then in verse number 4, turn us. Turn us. The psalmist is saying here, Lord, you've, you've been gracious to our, our country, you've been gracious to our folks, and you have been favorable, you have shown us mercy, you have forgiven our iniquity. And he's, he's speaking in terms of this. And in verse number 4 he says, turn us, O God. And this is a prayer that David is praying. And I would say this, that there are times in our individual lives, and I know when we preach on the subject of revival, a lot of times people think we as a church need revival, we as a country need revival, and those are true. But I want to speak more importantly today that my heart, my heart needs revival. And your heart needs revival. And when David is praying before God, he doesn't say, Lord, uh, I, I want you to, to just give us uh, your mercy and give us the forgiveness of sin. And, but he, he makes this statement. He says, turn us, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us. To cease. Can I tell you this, that 
if, if revival was ever going to take place in our hearts, if there was a time in our life where we were more excited about the things of God, more on fire for the things of God, and loved His Word, and loved the preaching of His Word, and loved the singing of the hymns, and loved the fellowship of His people, and it seems like it's grown cold in days, then the answer to that is not in, in changing the preaching, or in changing the music, or in changing the fellowship, which is what most people try to do. But it is in the changing of my heart. Lord, turn me. There's, there's some need here that needs to be dealt with. And he says, turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. And then he asks this question, Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? And he makes this statement in verse number 6, Wilt thou not revive us again? And I want you to notice what the psalmist gives as one of the great benefits of having our hearts revived and our hearts stirred again. He says, that thy people may rejoice in thee. In other words, our eyes are opened to the greatness of our God once again. Our joy is found not in the things of this world, but are now found in Him. The things that stir us most, the things that we get the most joy in our lives from, is not, is not all the different things that we involve ourselves in in life, but it's in the Lord Jesus Christ. My question is this this morning, where is your greatest joy? What is it in your life that brings you the most joy? Some people would say, well, my family brings me a lot of joy. And I think your family ought to. But is it your greatest joy? Well, I'll tell you, Pastor, my church brings me a lot of joy. Or my job brings me a lot of joy. Or perhaps uh, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, affections of my heart that I do, some of the, the, the things I involve myself in uh, for recreation, that brings joy to my heart. What is it that brings the greatest joy to your heart? What is it that you would say you rejoice in? And the psalmist speaks about the fact that when the revival comes, as he says in verse number 6, Wilt thou not revive us again, that thy people may rejoice, notice this, in thee. And I'd underline those two words. Because not only does revival bring joy, but it brings joy in Him. All of a sudden, the things that used to be cold and callous, and we used to go uh, maybe and, uh, and yawn as we sat through the preaching services or, or, uh, or sang that song for the 50th time this year out of our hymnal. And we think, oh boy, not again. No, no. All of a sudden, we'll begin to say, boy, i got great joy in this. I get to sing a hymn about my Savior and what a thrill that is. I get to hear the Word of God and its truth preached to my heart and what a joy it is. I want to have a hunger and I want to have a thirst for the things of God. And as the psalmist is praying, he was speaking of the greatness of God in forgiving their iniquity. But he says, Lord, turn us. Turn us. Wilt thou not send revival? Wilt thou not cause thy people to rejoice? He says, turn us. There's some problems here. He says, I need my heart to be turned so that I can rejoice in thee. Now take your Bibles, if you will, turn to uh, the book of um, Haggai. Uh, I'm sorry, I got the wrong, excuse me, got the wrong chapter here. Uh, Habakkuk, chapter number 3. I knew it was one of the H's there. I had my place marked. Habakkuk, that's one of those Freudian slips of my brain, thanks to COVID. Habakkuk, chapter 3. 
If you found Haggai chapter 3, come find me. You got the wrong Bible. Habakkuk chapter 3, excuse me, and verse number 1. I preached one message one time years ago. Uh, the entire message was on uh, Nicodemus, and the whole message I called him Zacchaeus. <laughs> but Haggai, uh, not Haggai, Habakkuk chapter 3, all right? We're going to get there in a minute. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse number 1. <clears throat> Habakkuk says this, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon uh, Shiganoth, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. Well, what a prayer. I want you to notice some of the things that he's praying for here in verse number 2. As he says in verse number uh, 2, he says, first of all, I have what? Heard thy speech. If my heart is to be turned, one of the first things that I've got to be able to do is to turn to God's Word and say, Lord, I need you to speak to me through your Word. I need to have, I need to have some instruction from you. By the way, it's not going to come from your pastor. Your pastor is the one that says Haggai when he means Habakkuk. It's going to be wrong. You've got to hear from, from, from the, the Word of God and from the Scriptures. And, and a lot of people say, well, God told me something, and God doesn't give new revelation outside of His Word today. So it's not just a mental thing that comes into your mind. It's reading the Scriptures and letting it do something to stir your hearts. And as Habakkuk is speaking here of this revival that he's asking God to do, he starts with, O Lord, I have heard thy speech. And then secondly, I would say this, you need to take note of what you read. Take note of what God does say to you. I'm fearful that in the day that we live, so often, we do like what James said, of coming into the perfect law of liberty and reading and seeing what manner of men we are, and then we straightway leave and we forget it. It's kind of like it goes in one ear and out the other, except when we're reading Scripture, it seems like it goes in one eye and out the other, and we don't... We don't hold to it. We don't let it affect our hearts. When Habakkuk is speaking here, as he prays, he says, Lord, I have heard thy speech and, notice this, was what? Afraid. You say, Pastor, should I be afraid of God? There ought to be a fear of God, yes. You say, why? Because in verse number, or chapter number 2, I want you to look with me very quickly at a couple things here. In verse number 1, he says, I will stand upon my watch, chapter 2 of Habakkuk. I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am what? Reproved. So God's going to do some reproving here. And the Lord answered me, and by the way, every time that you're willing to listen to God's reproof, He will give it to you. The reason oftentimes that we don't have the reproof of God in our lives is not because He's not wanting to reprove, it's because we're not listening. And this is where the psalmist was in Psalm 85, and this is where the children of Israel are in Habakkuk chapter 3, saying, Lord, turn us. There's something obviously wrong. I need you to do something in my heart. He says, I, will, he says, I shall answer when I'm... He says, I see what thou... So say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And the Lord answered me, and said, Write the vision, and make it plain upon tables, that ye may run that readeth it. Well, that's a warning statement, isn't it? No wonder Habakkuk said, I, I was afraid. 
I heard thy speech, and I was afraid. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end of it, it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. What are all these things? We're not going to take time to read all of chapter 2, but I want to point out some of the things that he says. In verse number 9, he says, Woe to him that coveteth an evil covetousness to his house that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of evil. Verse number 12, Woe to him that buildeth a tower with blood, establisheth a city by iniquity. Verse number 15, Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink, and puttest thy bottle to him, and makest him drunken also, that thou mayest look on their nakedness. Look down at verse number 19. He says, Woe unto him that saith to the wood, Awake, to the dumb stone, Arise, it shall teach. He's speaking here of people that worship idols. <clears throat> he says, Behold, it is laid over with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in the midst of it. Notice this, out of all of these things, as God's telling him this, he says, But, God, but, but the Lord is in his what? Holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before Him. These things that they were going about doing without any regard to the things of God, they were being covetous in their households, They uh, they were building a house or a city on iniquity, they were shedding blood, They were uh, causing their neighbors to be drunken, and they were having the party-type lifestyle going on. They They were worshiping idols of wood and of stone. And Habakkuk, under the instruction from God, is to tell the people, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. This is the thing that Habakkuk said in chapter 3 and verse number 2 he heard his speech of. This is the thing that he said and was afraid Now notice he says this in verse number 2. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. I don't want to wait till I go to heaven to be on fire for the Lord, to be what I should be. I want my heart to be stirred now. I don't want to wait till the end. I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'll get that that matter right uh, when I get older, when I get... When I get closer to the Lord, I'll serve the Lord uh, later on in life. No, no. I want to do it now. In the midst of years, notice what he says, make known. Make known. Bring it to my heart's conviction. Cause my heart to be pricked. The callousness, the coldness that it experiences. And then he says this, in wrath, remember mercy. There are several things that will happen. First of all, we need to understand that there is a need in our lives to be stirred once again. And it will not begin until we come to the Lord and say, Lord, turn us. Lord, turn us. Number two, when it comes to the idea of having my heart revived and stirred, I need to be able to give ear to what God has to say. The phrase in Scripture often is, incline mine ear. 
Or when praying to God, sometimes they will say, Lord, incline thine ear. And what we're saying is, give attention to it. Put the focus on it. Make it important to us once again. If the preaching of God's Word, the reading of God's Word, the singing of hymns and things of the Lord have become cold to you and become callous and there's no stirring of the heart, then perhaps we need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I need that to be stirred. I need You to turn me. I need You to turn me. We need to understand our need. Number three, there needs to be a holy fear of God. This is something that probably is the most neglected thing in the world today among God's people. We don't fear Him. We go about our lives and we're okay with our sin. We live in our sin. We live in our carnality. And maybe it's not even the sin. Maybe it's just worldliness in and of itself. Maybe it's just the idea that our minds are are affectionate towards the things of the world. Even that spirit where we tend to deny God and we begin to, to think that God is up there somewhere... And yeah, he's a just God and he's a holy God, but you know, he's not looking right now, so I can do this. And this is, even though we don't say those words, these are the way we live sometimes. We almost feel like God is afar off from us and doesn't see everything that we do and know every thought that we think. And Habakkuk said, I heard thy speech and was afraid. Can I tell you this? There ought to be a holy fear of God in the days, in the heart, today in the hearts of God's people. There ought to be a return to to understanding that God, even though He is merciful, and even though He is loving, and even though He is gracious, He is also pure and holy and just. And the Bible tells us, Whom the Lord loveth, He scourgeth and chasteneth every son. And while I have every ability to choose myself, I will suffer the consequences. And while I'm thankful I don't have to pay for the penalty of my sin in hell, Oftentimes I do have to bear the reproach of being chastened by the Lord. I often have to bear the scars that that sin has left in my life. And Habakkuk said, I heard thy speech and was afraid. Can I encourage you today? We need to get back to the place where years ago at least, God's people knew what it was to have a fear of the Lord. A little bit of that comes to mind as we thought this morning on the greatness of God. We began to see... The might of God. The magnitude of God. And our insignificance in light of creation. Can I encourage you in this? It would not take anything for God to snuff our life out. It would not. I'm thankful He's a merciful God. I'm thankful that the Bible says that if it were not for His mercies, we would be consumed every day. I'm thankful He's gracious and merciful, but Lord, help us. Lord, please help us not to ever be at the place where we lose our fear and reverence for You. May God help us to have a fear for Him. I'm not saying you have to be scared of Him, but I'll tell you this, I love my dad and my mom. I know what it was like to get whippings and whoopings, and some of you know the difference between the two. And I will tell you this, I loved my mom and dad to death. I know that they loved me beyond anything that I could ever imagine. But I'll be real real frank with you. There were times that I I lived a certain way because I was afraid of my dad. Or I was afraid of my mom. And I'm not saying that we need to be afraid of God. 
But there needs to be an understanding of how sinful sin is in God's eyes and how He cannot stand it and that it is not okay for we as God's people to live in a worldly and ungodly way. And this is part of getting revived in our hearts. This is part of what it takes to say, Lord, there's a problem. I need You to turn me. I need You to turn my heart. He said, O Lord, I have heard Thy speech. In verse number 2, notice He says, and was afraid. Then I want you to notice He said, in the midst of years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. There comes a point we studied in the book of Revelation where God's wrath will be poured out on the sin of man. And the Bible says, without mixture. Right now, the chastening of God is such that His mercy tempers it. I am reminded of the story of David in the Old Testament when he numbered Israel, which was something they were not supposed to do, and God gave him a choice of three punishments. To have three years of pestilence in the land, to have three months of being overrun by his enemies, or to have three days of the hand of the Lord against him. David said, I will choose the three days of the hand of the Lord, for I know that He is merciful. The angel of the Lord came and began to slay the men of Israel, and they slew 70,000 men of Israel. David, walking up Mount Moriah, almost to the threshing floor of a man by the name of Ornan, looks out and he sees the angel of the Lord hovering over Jerusalem, and his sword was drawn and the Lord said, It is enough. It is enough. I'm thankful that God gives mercy. And He tempers His justice with mercy. But may we not use His mercy as a license or a crutch or an excuse or a justification to live ungodly and to live worldly. These folks were covetous in their homes. They were trying to get gain and to build their cities with iniquity, dishonesty, even the shedding of blood in some instances. They were making their neighbors drunken. They were worshiping idols. God told Habakkuk, you need to tell these people this. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before Him. I read that often many years ago and I thought, what does that mean, Lord, keep silence before Him? Aren't we supposed to praise You? Aren't we supposed to lift up our voices like a trumpet? What does it mean to be silent before Him? I truly believe that what God is dealing with here is you need to ponder these things. The Lord is in His holy temple. You need to ask for the Lord's conviction upon your heart. You need to ask for His turning. And I would say it probably lends itself to the idea that the psalmist had in Psalm 85 when he said, Turn us. Turn us. We are so enamored with the noise of this world. So many problems, so many trials, so many things that vie for our attention in this world. 
I believe if we're going to be revived, if there's going to be a spirit of God turning our hearts, there's got to be some time where we get alone with the Lord. And we blot out and we box out all of these things that vie for our attention. And we say, Lord, I want to hear Your speech. And I want to be fearful. I want to get my heart right. I, I long for, though I don't enjoy, the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. It is a desire that we have and ought to have that God would bring His chastening if necessary to get our attention from that which is not pleasing to Him, that which is the iniquity, that which may have been considered even one of the woes that is spoken of in Habakkuk 2. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, the son of Siganoth, he says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years make known in wrath, remember mercy. Thankful God doesn't give up on us. We're living in times where probably more than ever in the history of mankind, there are so many glitz, glitzy and glamoury things in the world that entice and draw the hearts of people. There's probably never been a, a more, more prominent time in history of man where false teachers are getting up in pulpits and letting people believe that worldliness and carnal living is okay. So much so that men have become calloused. Their worship is nothing more than speaking to a wooden altar or a graven image. There's no power in it. There's no recognition of God in it. May God revive us once again. May God stir our hearts once again. May God cause us to hear Him and to fear Him. I've had several times in my life over the years where when I would spend time in prayer, spend time in, pre- in reading the Scriptures, it felt like there was, it was, there was just an emptiness there, that God wasn't near. I've talked to others that have said this. There's been times in their life where it just felt like every time they prayed that God wasn't even there. There was no presence of God in the situation. That When they read the Scriptures, it just seemed like they were just reading words and nothing was really speaking to their heart. And I tell you folks, we're living in a day where we are getting more and more apt to being in that position. And if there's ever been a time in our lives that we need to pray, Lord, I've heard Thy speech and I was afraid. I would say it's today. That we need to come to God's Word and say, Lord, I don't want to just read it. I want to know what it says. And I want it to turn me. I want it to bring conviction upon my heart. Lord, wilt Thou not revive us? Wilt Thou not stir my heart again? You've forgiven the iniquity. You've turned from Your fierce anger. Now, Lord, turn us. Turn us. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we pray that You would bless the message. And Lord, it's a very simple message, and yet one that perhaps is very needful in the day that we live.
We have forgotten what it means to fear You. We've begun to treat You as some common thing. Almost even sometimes as a nuisance in our life. Something that just has to be brushed aside so that we can get on with our lives. And yet the truth is, Lord, we need to have a fearful reverence for You in our life each and every day. May You help us to hear Your speech. May we read Your Word and understand it and know it. May it stir our hearts. And Lord, may we have 